Well, if you got your message notes, we've been in a series on the book of Galatians, a little letter in the New Testament portion of our Bible that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of churches in the Galatia area. And we've been taking a very slow road through the book of Galatians. It took us nine weeks to just get through the first two chapters. Today, we are beginning chapter three. And, and let me just you know, give you a little context as we move into chapter three. You could really look at today as the beginning of a brand new series because chapter 3 turns a corner in the book of Galatians and Paul kind of takes it to another level. The first two chapters have a lot to do with what is the gospel, how does the gospel work, how do you defend the gospel. Again, Paul was very angry when he wrote this letter because there were some false teachers trying to pervert Christianity. Chapter 3, we get into an entire, really the rest of the book follows this theme on the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and to walk with spiritual power and authority? So let's, let's dive in today. We're going to begin with the first five verses of chapter 3, and then we're going to pull it apart. Chapter 3, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before Your very eyes, Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? I want to go to one phrase in this five verses, by means of the spirit, and build on that today. Because the entire subject of the material we're looking at is all about spiritual power. It's all about what does it mean to receive spiritual power, to have spiritual power, for spiritual power to flow through your life. And this is very important because we don't want to be another dead religion. Like we're not showing up today just to learn about some things that happened a long, long time ago and try to figure out a couple rules to live by today. We're here because we want to connect with the spiritual. We want to go beyond kind of our life and our world and connect with a supernatural and living God. And that that honestly can freak you out a little bit, But it really shouldn't because the word supernatural, all it means is beyond our natural ability. In my life personally, there are things that I naturally have the ability to do and there are times where I need a little bit more, where I need God to show up and do a little bit more, give me a little bit more, help me go beyond what I have the natural ability to do. And that's that's all the supernatural is. Now, when it comes to the spiritual, there's a huge trend right now uh, for people seeking after the spiritual. I mean, spirituality is very, very popular right now. You see it in bookstores, you see it in online blogs, you see it all over the place. People, you know, there's a lot of writing on mysticism and enlightenment and getting in tune with your spirit and connected and at one with the universe. There's just a lot to do with spirituality right now. Now, even in the church, you see a lot of people starting to come back to churches today and searching out churches today, and it's all because they want to know about spirituality. Now, on the other side, what we're also seeing is people don't want anything to do with morality anymore. So people are not coming back to church because of morality. They're coming back because of spirituality. 
Like, we don't want to be told how to live our life, and we don't want to know what's moral, what's right or wrong. We just want a connection to the spiritual. But the problem is people are more empty than they've ever been. We don't want the morality, but as a result, we find ourselves very empty inside, so we're seeking out the spiritual. Now, what Paul is getting into in chapter 3 is he's teaching us that if you want to have a spiritually vibrant life, if you want to connect to the spiritual, to have spiritual power, very real spiritual power working in your life, here's how to do it. And today really is just the introduction. The rest of the letter of Galatians is all about this. So we're just going to jump into the intro with a couple thoughts today, and then I'm going to give you a couple practical takeaways to leave with. Here's the first thought that we see in this letter. It's an assumption that Paul makes, and that is you can receive the Holy Spirit. You can receive the very Holy Spirit of God inside of you, every human being on earth today. Everybody on this planet has the ability, has the capacity, has the potential to receive the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. This is a huge concept when you think about it. This is what we mean by by saying the phrase, Jesus lives inside of me. It's actually his spirit, the spirit of God living inside of me. In verse 2, Paul asks this rhetorical question. He says, I would like to learn just one thing. Did you receive the spirit? Now, he's assuming that they did. Because this letter is written to Christians, it's written to believers, it's not an evangelistic letter written to the lost, it's written to people who've already begun the journey with Christ. So he's assuming that they did. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? And then in verse 5, he says, again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? You can receive the Holy Spirit. Now, different religions in the world today, when they use the word God, they all have different meanings for, for what, it, what it means to them. And the same is true for the word spirit. Different religions have very, very different meanings when it comes to the word spirit. So to understand this concept, to understand what we're going into right now at chapter 3, you need to understand the way the Bible uses the word spirit, the way the gospel, the, the way Christians look at this word Spirit, for us, for for followers of Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, the word spirit is never, ever, ever in it. The spirit is not in it. The whole reason that it's capitalized here, even though in the Greek, original Greek language, there were no capitals. The whole reason it's capitalized here is because they're trying to get something across to us. In the Bible, every time you see the word spirit, it's always, it always accompanies the personal pronoun of he or him, not some mystical force of God or an animation from God or a ray of God's light or a pulse of his energy. The Spirit is actually God in spirit form. Paul, in one of his other letters, puts it like this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. God himself is is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. One of the reasons we say the entire book of Galatians is about freedom is because the entire book of Galatians is about the Spirit. And wherever you have the Spirit, you're going to have freedom. And the Lord is the Spirit. Now let me me help you uh, understand to the best of my ability a concept 
And let me just put it out there. This concept is impossible for the human brain to fully comprehend. That's the dilemma that we're in. We have a concept that we want to understand, but that concept is impossible for the human brain to fully comprehend. And it's, the, it's, a, it's a technical term of theology of Christianity that we call the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is not actually in the Bible. The concept is, and so this concept we see over and over and over throughout the Bible, we developed a term to explain the concept, and the term is called Trinity. And what Trinity means is God is three individual people, and he's exactly the same. So he is one person, and he is three people at the very same time. Which, again, is why this is hard for us to human understand. But this is also the way I like God. I love the fact that there is a part of God that I, I, I can't fully comprehend with my human brain. Now think about this for a moment. If you and I could fully comprehend God with our human brain, he would not be that impressive. Right? So it's good that there's a part of him we fully can't comprehend, and that is the Trinity. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Three individuals, three separate people with feelings and personality and desires who are exactly the same person. The best way I can illustrate this, I saw this when I grew up in church, was the, the image of a clover, a three-leaf clover. If you look at the clover, it's, it's one clover. It's one clover. It's one stem, but you have three very distinct leaves or petals with, with very distinct personalities that's the best way I can help you understand the concept of the Trinity, that God is three distinct people with personality, with desires, with emotions. There's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but it's also the exact same person. Now, it's key to understand. Now, again, the Spirit always is used as the personal pronoun, he or him. Let me show you how Jesus refers to the Spirit. In John chapter 16, he says, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Now, he's talking to the disciples. If I were one of the disciples and Jesus says, look, it's really good for you guys that I go away, I would have said, no, it's not. Like, it's good for you that you stay with us. Like, we don't want you to go away. We want you, we feel safer when you're with us. We don't want to be alone. But he says, it's good for you that I go away. And we see that proven true in the life of Peter. Peter, I mean, think about it. Peter was personally discipled by Jesus for three years. I mean, if anybody was going to disciple you and spend one-on-one -on -one time with you, and, and you, would, you would really become a super Christian, I would think Jesus would have the best opportunity at accomplishing that in your life. Peter spends three years with him and still can't get through a night without betraying him three times, right? One encounter with the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up, preaches to over 10,000 people, and 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's better for you that I go away. The good news for us is the same Holy Spirit that Peter encountered and had in his life is the same Holy Spirit available to you and I today. He says, unless I go away, the advocate, again, the, 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 the English translators capitalize this, even though there's no Greek capitals in the Greek text, because it's trying to get across this is a person, and this is one of his functions in your life, will not come to you, but if I go, look at this, I will send him to you. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. All of that to be said, the Holy Spirit is a very real person. 
He can be the best friend that you'll ever have, somebody that you can talk to. A lot of us, it's easy to pray to Jesus, and it's easy to pray to God the Father, but we struggle with really relating to the person of the Holy Spirit, even though he is a very real person. Let me show you the first time in Scripture that people actually received the Holy Spirit, what Paul is talking about here. It's in John chapter 20. This is after the resurrection of Christ. They crucified him. He was resurrected from the dead. Uh, the disciples are, are hiding out in Jerusalem. They're, they're behind closed doors. All of a sudden, Jesus walks through a wall and freaks out everybody in the room. And that's why Jesus makes the statement, peace be with you. He's trying to calm them down because he just walked through a wall and they're all freaking out. And he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the exact second, the exact moment in time in history that many theologians, and I personally believe, we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, where we came under the covenant of grace. No longer were we under the old covenant of the law, but this moment in time is when this, the, the, the grace covenant was established, where we, were, we are saved by faith in Christ, and we know, we'll look at this in a moment, that when, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you are converted, when you are born again, when you become a Christian, the seal of your salvation is receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, this is very, very different than the gift of the Holy Spirit. There, there are two different encounters with the Holy Spirit we see in the Bible. There is, there is when you become a Christian, when you are born again, you receive the Holy Spirit as the seal of your salvation. The Spirit of God comes to live in your life. That is what we're talking about today with, with, with the passage in Galatians we're looking at. But there is another encounter with the Holy Spirit that is available to every one of us. I like the way Luke phrases it the best. In this exact encounter, in the same conversation, uh, as you know, the four Gospels record the same events just from different perspectives. You know, so they all talk about Jesus dying on the cross. They just each add different details. Well, in this conversation, Luke adds a detail that John just didn't feel like was necessary for his gospel. Here's what Luke says. So, so I want you to get the picture. Jesus breathes on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. Their salvation is sealed. A few minutes later, Jesus says this, I am going to send you what my father has promised. Now he's talking about a gift, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So there's a separate encounter of being clothed with power. Some people call this the baptism in the Spirit. Some people call it the gift of the Spirit. It, it, it's, not self, it's not the receiving of the Spirit when you are born again. This is, a, this is the power to, to really live out the Christian life in a very powerful way. It's being clothed with power. It's the gift of the Spirit. Now, when the Bible talks about the fact that Christians can receive the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand this goes way beyond what any other religion says about the Spirit. This goes way beyond what any other religion describes. This is absolutely central to Christianity. This is core to who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And in fact, one of the great truths of Christianity in your notes is a key to spiritual growth is getting to know the Holy Spirit living in you. This is a massive key to the, if you want to mature spiritually, if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to advance spiritually, if, if you want to become a mature follower of Christ, 
One of the central keys of that is getting to know the Holy Spirit who lives inside you, the very Spirit of God in you. Paul says, not in your notes, in 2 Corinthians 13, and this is one of the places where the concept of the Trinity is described. Again, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but here's the concept of the Trinity. Paul says, the amazing grace of the Master Jesus Christ, it all starts with the grace of what Jesus gave us on the cross, salvation. The extravagant love of God, the Father loves you, for God so loved the world that he gave his Son, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. There are three things that every Christian needs. You need the love of God, you need the grace of Jesus, and you need an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. This is key, critical to the Christian life. You cannot grow spiritually without building a friendship with the Holy Spirit. Why is this so important? We've got to understand who is inside of us. We've got to understand the benefit we have by housing God himself in our bodies. Let me put it this way. Um, one of my favorite trilogies is, is and, and to be very honest with you, I watched the movies before I read the books, but one of my favorite trilogies is The Lord of the Rings. I love The Lord of the Rings. It's just, I get caught up in all that fantasy world that Tolkien kind of created and he wrote about. And the whole story in, in the very first one is about this, these hobbits. There's this older hobbit, Bilbo Baggins, very, very wealthy hobbit. And he sends a younger hobbit, Frodo, on this mission, on this journey. But before he sends them out on this mission, he gives them a coat of mail. A coat of mail is, is a coat with like iron ringlets that are all interconnected together. It's what knights used to wear. It's kind of like a bulletproof vest where it's hard to you know, stab a sword through a coat of mail. He gave him a coat of mail made out of mithril. Mithril was one of the metals created in this fantasy world. And as they were on the journey, Frodo would wear this under his shirt and all of his companions were talking about Bilbo one day, and they were saying Bilbo was a, a very, very wealthy man, incredibly wealthy, uh, very blessed. But out of everything Bilbo owned, he had one possession in particular that was more valuable than everything else combined. They said Bilbo had a coat made out of mithril. Now, mithril was a hundred times stronger than iron or steel. And it was a hundred times lighter. It was a hundred times more valuable than gold or silver. It was extremely rare, extremely beautiful, extremely light. And they began to say, this coat that Bilbo owned was worth more than the entire country. He came from all of the land, all of the real estate, all of the homes. And all of a sudden, in the movie, Bilbo kind of opens his shirt to look at the coat that he was wearing underneath. And the thought staggers him. It, it hits him that what he's wearing underneath his shirt is more powerful and more valuable than the entire country he came from. Now, I don't know about you, but there's times where I'm sharing Christianity with people and I'm telling people what does it mean to be a Christian and how do, you, how do you become born again and a follower of Jesus Christ. And I always get to the part of conversation where I say, and one of the characteristics of being a Christian, one of the benefits, one of the things that happens when you give your life to Jesus Christ is, is you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. And almost always the response I get from people is, oh, that's nice. 
That's nice. Like the spirit of God who created the heavens and the earth, hung every star in the galaxy, holds the universe together, lives inside of you, and that's nice? Like do we not realize that what we are walking around with underneath is more powerful and more valuable and more beautiful than the entire world that we live in? Peter puts it like this. His divine power, it's the Holy Spirit in us, has given us everything we need for a godly life. Do you realize you can't receive anything else from God? He's already given you everything. Everything you'll ever need to be a Christian, everything you'll ever need to accomplish your purpose, to to follow Christ, he's given it all to you through our knowledge of him. We've got to have that intimate friendship. It's through the friendship, it's through the knowledge that we have everything we need to live for him, to serve him. Peter goes on to say, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate. Participate in the divine nature. Do you realize you get to participate in the divine nature? What is the divine nature? The Holy Spirit. It's God. It's the presence of God. It's the divine You have an opportunity to participate, to be a part of the divine nature living inside. Have you ever realized, have you ever been staggered by that thought? Has it ever hit you that the Spirit of God lives inside? See, when you when you begin to understand that, it creates a spiritual energy inside of you. It creates a spiritual power inside of you to live. We talked about this last week. Walking in line with the gospel releases a spiritual energy, a spiritual power in your life. And one of the keys to growing spiritually is to understand what you have. That's why Paul, in his letter to the church of Ephesus, the Ephesians letter, he, he didn't pray that they receive more power. He said, I pray that you would realize the power that is already inside you. Let me give you one more thought that we, that we see in this passage of Scripture, this is something that, again, Paul insinuates, he assumes, but it's very, very important for us to pull this out and look at it. It's going to be a little challenging, but it's very important that we look at this thought, and then I'll give you a couple practicals. Unless you receive the Holy Spirit, you are not a Christian. This is going to be challenging. Unless you receive the Holy Spirit, You are not a Christian. Look at verse 2 again with me. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit? He's assuming they did by the works of the law, by being very religious, by being a churchgoer, by being a good Christian, or by believing what you heard. Are you so foolish? Look at this phrase. After beginning. After beginning. How do we begin? By means of the Spirit. Do you see the assumption there? Paul is saying you haven't begun the Christian life until you receive the Spirit. There's no other beginning for the Christian life. The only way to begin the Christian life is by means of the Spirit. There's not another option available for you. We begin by the means of the Spirit or we do not begin. It's the only way. See, here's the problem. For many of us, we assume that there are two categories of Christians in the world. We have this assumption 
that there are kind of like your normal, ordinary, average Christians in the world, and then there are the on-fire Christians in the world. You know, the ones who you know, become leaders in the church. They're the ones with the Spirit. Paul says, no, 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 no. You have not even begun to be a Christian until you have received the Spirit. Let me tell you a story to help you understand this. When you study the colonialists back during the 1600s, when, when many of the colonials began to come from Europe and England, and they settled in New England, they established a rule in the New England church. You see, the New England church believed it wasn't enough for you to say that I believe in all the truths of Christianity, and I believe that Jesus was you know, God's son, and I'm doing my best to obey them and be a part of the church. They believed that you actually had to have an experience of grace to be a Christian that you actually had to have a spiritual transformation. There had to be a conversion in your life to actually be a Christian. You see, in the New England church, it wasn't enough to say, you know, I believe that Jesus was God's son, and you know, I'm following the teachings of the Bible and the teachings of the church, and I'm living according to Christian ethics. That makes me a Christian, right? They would have said, no. You have to have the Spirit, or you haven't begun. Now just think about this logically for a moment. The Spirit of God. Spirit of God. The Spirit God used to speak the world into existence comes to live inside of you and nothing changes? Let's get real. When the Spirit comes inside of you, there is a transformation that takes place. There is a regeneration. There is a conversion. There is this encounter with grace when God's Spirit comes to live inside of you. It's not business as usual anymore. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you never struggle it again. But all of a sudden, you know this thing just got real. Something happened. Something changed. Well, the Church of New England, they made a mistake. The mistake that they made is they, they, they passed a law that you had to be a member of a church to be able to vote. Like you had no legal rights, you could not vote in any of the, you know, the political elections unless you were a member of the church. So here's the problem. The early settlers that came over all had this grace experience with God. They had a spiritual transformation with God. But they all, now 40 years later, they all had on average seven to eight children apiece. And now 40 years later, half of their kids never had a real spiritual encounter with God. They were good people. They were nice. They were part of the church. I mean, they grew up, you know, church was a part of their social life. And so they grew up going to church and learning about church. And they knew the stories of the Bible. And they were good people. And they were doing their best to obey. But they didn't have a grace experience. They never had a spiritual transformation. And so 40 years later, half of the population couldn't vote because half of the population didn't belong to church because they never had an actual encounter with God. They were just good people who grew up in the church. And so what they did in 1662, you can research this. It's, it's kind of funny when you think about it. They, they, they passed what they call the halfway covenant. The halfway covenant which simply said you don't have to actually have an experience with God or a spiritual transformation or an encounter with grace to belong to the church. You just need to be a good person and you just need to accept you know, the church's teaching and, and, and accept the fact that Jesus was God's son. And if you just do your best to follow and try and be a part of church, then you can be a member of the church and vote. So what's my point? There's always been this tremendous pressure. Always. 
to go away from this and say, you don't have to have a, a real inner transformation. You don't have to have a conversion. You don't actually have to have a grace experience to be a Christian. And I think what we've done is we've sold people short in America and we've made a lot of people feel like they're a Christian because they do certain things or because they're part of church and yet they've never experienced grace. You know, as long as you go to church and you try your best and you believe all the right doctrines and you accept, you know, the church's position on things, you're a Christian. Paul says, no, unless you've received the Holy Spirit, you haven't even begun to be a Christian. Look what he says in Ephesians 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. Remember, it was all about believing the gospel of your salvation. When you believe, look at this, you were marked. You were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That is, when you, when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit seals your salvation. You are marked by him. He comes to live. You receive the Holy Spirit. He comes to live. And the question is, have you been marked? Have you been marked? Can you point back to a moment in your timeline, to a moment in your personal history and say, I was marked on this date. I was marked at this moment in time. My, it went from religion to becoming very, very real. This thing, this thing, all of a sudden became real. Do you have that moment in your life? Have you been, because I'm telling you, you know if you have. You know, like, again, I'm not perfect, but I've been marked, and I know when I got marked, and I know my life changed at that moment. Something took place inside of me at that. The Spirit of God came to live inside of me, and things happened. I was marked. When were you marked? So again, these thoughts. You can receive the Holy Spirit. Key to spiritual growth is getting to know Him, building that intimate friendship with Him. Unless you receive the Spirit, you haven't even begun. And now I know what some of you might be feeling right now. You're thinking to yourself, you're making me really, really nervous right now. I don't even know if I've received the Spirit right now. Well, here's the, here's the good news. The rest of the Galatians is about this. Uh, so, so, so you're here at the right time. And we're going to begin the conversation today. That little rhetorical question, did you receive the Spirit that Paul asked? See, Paul's assumption was yes. Yes, but here's the question that we want to look at today. How do I receive the Holy Spirit? How do I receive him? How do I know that I've been marked? How do I know that I've been sealed? How do I know that my salvation is guaranteed? Well, look at verse one again. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed it's crucified. Now, let me give you a, a geography lesson. Paul is writing to a group of churches that are about 90 miles northwest of modern-day Israel. And very, very likely, not one person reading this letter was actually there the day Jesus died. So why is he saying, before your very eyes? He's not saying that they physically saw this happen. What he's saying, it was clearly 
portrayed. What does clearly portrayed mean? When you study that phrase out, it means graphically displayed. It's like putting it on a billboard as graphic as you could possibly imagine it. What Paul is saying is when I came to town, when I came to plant this church, when the day you first met me, I did not come just to teach you spiritual principles, but I came to graphically show you who Jesus Christ is and what he did for you. Before Your very eyes, he said. What does that mean, before your very eyes? Well, and and again, in another one of Paul's letters to the church of Ephesus, he says it like this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's what before your very eyes means. He wants the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. In other words, Paul is saying, look, I didn't come to just give you rules and regulations and principles and, and commands to follow. I came to tell you a story. And I told you the story of Jesus, who lived for you and died for you, was crucified for you, and was resurrected from the dead. And their eyes were enlightened. What does it mean? Well, the best way I can help you understand this is is a part of my job, and honestly, I'm grateful I get to do this, but it's the hardest part of my job, is any time we deal with death in the church, whether it's somebody who who passes away or somebody who actually gets the pronouncement of death. We've had a number of our church members, you know, put in cards for prayer. You know, my father just got six weeks to live or or another family member was just told by the doctor that, that they just have a short time left to live. Now, one of the things I've noticed in those situations is when the doctor makes the pronouncement, when the doctor tells the family, I'm very, very sorry to have to tell you this, At that moment, when the doctor gives them the news, very, very rarely does it sink in, if you understand what I mean. Very rarely does does it connect. do Do they really feel it at that moment? Typically what happens, like, you know, I had a woman say it like this. I walked into, you know, my husband's room in the color of his skin. I looked at the color of his skin, and in that moment, it finally hit me. It finally sunk in that he was going to die. That's the best way I can describe what Paul is saying here. You see, it's one thing to know, it's another thing to taste. See, this is what happens when you become a Christian. You may know all the facts of Christianity. You may know the Easter story backwards and forwards, but one day the story sinks in. One day it hits you. In other words, it moves from your head to your heart. Paul goes on in verse 2. He says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, by being a very good Christian, by being very religious, by following all the rules, or believing what you heard? What did they hear? Christ clearly portrayed as crucified. That's what they heard. How do you receive the Spirit? By believing what you heard. The eyes of your heart being enlightened. When when Jesus is graphically portrayed to you before your very eyes. In other words, it's one thing to know that you're a sinner and it's another thing to taste it. Has the story sunk in? Has it hit you? Did all of a sudden it go from, from this historical event to something very, very real where you realize this happened You could taste it. Has that happened to you? 
Because that's what, that's what before your very eyes means. Like all of a sudden it hits you. All of a sudden you realize what was done. This is a huge change. Look, you can go to church for years. You can go to church your entire life and focus on all the things you have to do to be a crude Christian and miss the entire point of Christianity. You see, Paul doesn't bring advice from Jesus. He brings news about Jesus. Paul doesn't show up to town and say, this is what you have to do. Paul shows up to town and says, this is what's been done for you. Have you ever had that moment where you felt completely hopeless and helpless, where you felt like, I am a sinner, I am lost, there is nothing I can do about it, I need Jesus, and all of a sudden, it sinks in what he did for you. That's the moment we believe. That's what Paul's describing. That's the moment you surrender your life, you receive the Holy Spirit. Have you been marked? And then lastly, Number two, how do I unlock spiritual power? So I receive the Spirit. The Spirit of God comes to live inside me by believing what I heard, believing Christ crucified. How do I unlock that power? If, if God's Spirit is living inside of me and I have all this power of available to me, how do I unlock it? Well, again, let's go back to verse two. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? By being very good, being very religious, or by believing what you heard. Notice they believed. They believed. That, that's the assumption here. They received the Spirit by believing. What did they believe? Christ was graphically portrayed as crucified. So what does believing mean? It means to stop using the works of the law. So Paul is saying. Believing is to not use the works of the law. It doesn't mean stop being obedient to the law. It means stop trusting the law to save you. It means stop putting your faith in the law to do something for you. What only Christ can do. And then he says, are you so foolish? After beginning, by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Are you now trying to finish by, by your own effort, by your own performance, by how good you are? Have you experienced so much in vain? See, this is the secret to spiritual power in your life. In this story, they didn't just believe a story. What they did was they realized the impact of that story in their life. And what they realized is up until the moment that they gave their life fully and, and completely to Christ, up until that moment, they realized their entire life they'd been trying to complete themselves. That's what this phrase, trying to finish, means. It means I'm trying to complete myself. And that's all of us have been on a journey. Up until the moment we meet Christ, every single one of us have been on a journey from the day we were born to complete ourselves. We want to find value. We want to find worth. We want to feel like we matter. We want to feel like we're important. We are on this entire path. Everything we do is trying to complete ourselves. They were trying to do that through their own effort. And then all of a sudden, they finally realized that Jesus had done that for them. This is the key. The key to truly understanding what Christ has done is to understand that up until Christ, everything I was doing was trying to complete myself, and I have to stop trying to complete myself. I have to stop trying to finish in my own effort, and I have to trust what he did for me. So what is the secret? What is the key to unlocking spiritual power in my life? 
by continuing the way I began. Like, I wish I could give you something else because I know it'd be a lot easier, but we have to go back to the beginning. We have, Paul's whole point in this passage is this is how you began the journey. Don't you want to continue this way? Like, why are you trying to change now? Why are you trying to go a different direction now? You began it through believing what you heard. What, why are you trying to create another method for doing it, for living it out? Look at verse 5. Again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles? Let me just stop for a moment and say there, there are people all throughout our church who are desperate for God to do a miracle in their life. I read the prayer cards every week. Some of you are believing God for a healing, physical healing, a relational healing, a miracle in this area, a miracle in that area. You are desperate for God to show up and do a miracle in your life. And if you're not desperate for one now, you will be at some point in your life. So let me say, it would be really, really good to pay attention to this. Because Paul's giving you the secret to how God does miracles in your life, how he releases spiritual power in your life, how healings happen. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles, give healings, do incredible things by the works of the law, by your performance, by your effort, by how good of a Christian you are, by how much you read your Bible or how long you pray? Or by believing. And when you study this in the Greek, it's present tense, not past. It's not, not by what you believed. It's by continuing to believe. By believing what you heard. What did they hear? Christ clearly portrayed as crucified. Here's the point. You grow spiritually exactly the same way you receive spiritual power. You keep going back to the cross. You keep going back to believing that Jesus has Completely, it's not trying real hard or getting your life together or doing a bunch of religious activities. It's all about believing. Only when you see the point of Jesus dying on the cross do you realize that I have been complete. When he is graphically portrayed, you realize that I don't have to try to complete myself anymore. And let's be very honest. Everything we're doing, we're trying to complete ourselves. The reason, I mean, think about this. The, the reason why you work so hard, the reason why you're a workaholic, the reason why you want to be thin, the reason why you want to get married so bad, the reason why you're driven for success and achievements in life, oh, well, you're trying to complete yourself. You're trying to find worth. You're trying to find value. You're trying to matter. And all of those are good things under the right motives. But until we rest in what Christ has done for us, we're going to continually strive to complete ourselves. And becoming religious would just be more of the same. Paul says you don't move forward spiritually by trying harder. The secret to the future is the same as the past. It's all about believing. I love the way he puts it again in Ephesians 1. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is not for those who work hard or those who obey well enough or those who read the Bible enough. No, it's for those who believe. And then I love this. That power, that power, the Holy Spirit living inside of you is the same is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. <laughs> Do you get that? I mean, that, that is a lot more power than a AAA battery. The power that God used to bring Christ back to life is the same power that is inside of you. Why would you want to live any other way? I mean, this is huge. 
And the way you make progress is just to go back to the way you began. Now let me give you one quick, very simple, practical example of how this works. Let's just say for a moment you're angry at your father. And everyone knows you're angry at your father. Your wife has been telling you for years. Your therapist even told you you're angry at your father. And you know you're angry at him. And you know you need to stop. Like, because it's eating you up. You, you know this isn't good. You're like, yeah, I got to get God to take this away from me because I'm angry. This is not good. I need to get over this. I just need to get over it. Until you see that the anger, the root of the anger is you're still trying to complete yourself. That's the root of the anger. You're, just, you're still trying to... Somehow you need, you need that, you either need approval or you need justice in the relationship. You need something, but you're trying to complete, you're not seeing yourself complete in Christ. That's the root of the anger. In any relationship, that's the root of the anger is you're trying to complete yourself. You're using this situation somehow to try to complete yourself instead of seeing yourself complete in Christ. But when you go back, and before your very eyes, you see Christ clearly portrayed as crucified. When that sinks in all over again, and again, it, it sinks in many times for me. It wasn't just, there, there was the initial time where I, it, it, it before my eyes. And some, I was marked that day. But there have been many times in my journey where I've needed to sink in again. See, when I go to the cross and I see what Jesus has done for me, I see what he paid for me, I see the price and the extreme he went through to forgive me of a debt that I could never possibly pay on my own. When I see that, all of a sudden a spiritual energy wells up inside of me, a spiritual power wells up inside of me, and I now have the ability to forgive what I couldn't forgive before. See, it's only in seeing what Christ has done for me do I have the power to forgive. It's only in believing and accepting that I'm complete in him do I have the power to forgive. You see, I couldn't forgive before, but when I see Christ crucified, when I know what he did for me, when I know the extreme, that's why Paul says forgive the way God in Christ forgave you. See, everything goes back to believing. Everything goes back to the cross. Everything goes back to seeing Christ crucified, understanding that because of what he did on the cross, I am complete. I have value. I have worth. So I can let go of this. I can move away from this. I can forgive this person. Why? The energy is there. So Paul says, foolish Galatians. You know what that means? It means dear idiots. That's what it means. Dear idiots, the secret is right under your nose. Can, can you not? It's right under your nose. You're suffering for nothing. Why do you keep suffering for nothing? The secret is right there. It's right under your nose. You idiots. It's available. Take hold of it. Just go back to how you began. It's powerful. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment? Before we leave, let me ask you the question, have you been marked? Can you point back to a moment in your history where you know the Holy Spirit came inside? God took residence in your life. You know. Like, and, and, and can I tell you, the Holy Spirit will not come inside unnoticed. You will notice when the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. You will notice. And I'm not saying it's this big emotional experience, 
But I promise you the fact that anyone that has been marked knows that they have been marked. They know the moment in their timeline when God became very, very real and this was no longer a religion. The question is, can you put your finger on that mark? Do you know the time in your life where it became real, where the eyes of your heart were enlightened, where before your very eyes you saw Christ clearly portrayed as crucified. It wasn't a story from a long time ago, but it became very, very real. And you realized it was for you. And it melted your heart. If that hasn't happened in your life, There is nothing I would love more than to see you have that opportunity today. And can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit is the only one that can clearly portray this to you. And can I tell you, He wants to do it more than you even want it. The Bible says it's God's heart that nobody perishes. And so if, if you would ask for the Holy Spirit to make it real to you today, that you want to know like very, very clearly what Christ has done for you, He would be so happy to, to give you that picture so that you can surrender your heart and life to Him and receive His Spirit. He's drawing some of you. Some of you right now, your hearts are burning. And so before we close, I want to pray for those of you that need to make this decision today. And then during this final song of worship, in just a moment, I'm going to go stand over by the cross. And if you're making the decision today during this last song of worship, I want you to just come talk to me. And I'm going to pray for you personally. But very quickly, with every eye closed, just so I know who's making that decision, would you just raise your hand very quickly so that I can pray over you? Just, just If you're making the decision today, just raise your hand. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Is there anybody else? Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, reveal Christ to people. Let them see that what Jesus did, he did for them out of love so that they could be forgiven, so that they could be saved, so that their relationship with God could be restored. Let them clearly see what the cross means for them this morning. And as a result, let their hearts respond by surrendering their life completely to you that they may receive the Holy Spirit and be marked. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. The prayer team will be available for anybody that needs prayer today. I'll be standing over by the cross. If, if you're here today and you want to make that decision to give your life completely to Jesus Christ, to be marked, to receive the Holy Spirit. I would love to personally pray with you over by the cross.